And now we pray that as we look into your word that you would open it up to us and that, Father, we might see how to change our lives, how you would want to change us, Father, to be more like you. And Lord, I pray for each and every one that is in here today, whatever their need may be, whether it's marital problems and issues or physical healing that they need or financial help, whatever, that, Father, you would work in the lives of our people, that you would change their lives and improve their lives. Father, most of all, that you would use us to do whatever it is that you want to achieve in and through and with us. So, Father, we give you this time. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? You know, when it comes to the subject of money and possessions, people have differing views of just how important those things are. And some people think that they're very important. Some people think, eh, it's just money. It doesn't matter. Um, There's an interesting story. It's kind of funny, really, but tragic at the same time. I came across this this week. It's it's taken from history. It's an actual event that took place. In the year 1347, when the Black Plague was raging through Europe and thousands upon thousands of people were dying, the people saw it as the judgment of God against them. That's the reason it was happening. That's what they thought. And so, hoping to appease God's wrath, the citizens of Lubeck, Germany, surrounded the churches and the monasteries of their city and offered them enormous amounts of money and riches. Now, they were trying to appease God, so they were offering to the priests and so forth, the monks, money. They thought if they would pay God off, that he would stop this plague. Now, the monks and the priests inside... Uh, of the monasteries were fearful of being contaminated with the disease, so they barred their gates and would not allow the citizens to enter. The persistent crowds began to throw the valuables, the coins, the, the gold and the jewels over the walls. And the frightened monks didn't want to be contaminated, so they started throwing it back over the walls. It says money and valuables were thrown back and forth over the walls for hours until the monks finally gave up and they allowed the riches to remain. Within hours, piles of riches, three and four feet high, were inside the walls of the monastery. And for the next, it is said that for the next months, and some say even for years, the money remained untouched. Now, can you just imagine this? The people on the outside think that their money is the source of life. If I can get it inside to the church and monastery and appease God, God will stop this plague. The monks on the inside saw the money as the source of death. They're thinking it's full of germs, we're throwing it back. And so back and forth it goes. Differing viewpoints of wealth, differing differing, uh, evaluations, I guess, of what what it meant. Now, here's something that's kind of humorous. It's entitled The Toddler's Creed. And this is put out by mops or mothers of preschoolers. And here's what it said. This is how a toddler thinks in relation to money and possessions. If I want it, it's mine. If I gave it to you and I changed my mind later, it's still mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. And if I had it a little while ago, it's still mine. If it is mine, it will never belong to you or anyone else no matter what. And if it looks like it's mine, it is mine. That's how toddlers think in relation to possessions, whether it be toys or whatever. Now, here's the question I want to ask of you. 
Um, are money and possessions important to God? Is it important to God about money and possessions? Because this is an important question. Following the resurrection of Christ and for the next few hundred years, the church battled back and forth and debated theology. And one of the things that they were debating was God's view of the physical world and money and possessions. Does God even care? Uh, they, some people viewed it as evil, and, and it was just a part of the physical world. Other people viewed it as, the, you know, that God is more interested in the spiritual world, and, and some thought he was interested in both. Uh, but if you look in the Scriptures, here's what you're going to see in the answer to the question, does God care about money and possessions? The answer is yes. There's a lot said about this in the Scripture. There's a lot said about how God views it and the importance of it. Let me give you this verse. It talks about not only, uh, well, let me read it for you, then we'll talk about it. It says, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It says this, Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. In other words, God is looking at you and me in our lives. He's saying that if I have entrusted something to you, and this covers everything in life, but if I have entrusted something to you, then it is very important that you be found faithful in that area. Now, folks, God has entrusted us with money and with possessions, and God holds us accountable to be faithful in the way in which we use it, spend it, disperse it, whatever. So in answer to the question, does God care about money and possessions? Well, of course he does. God cares about those things. They are important to God. Now, what do we mean when we talk about being faithful? Because this is what I want to talk to you about today, being faithful in the area of money and possessions. Here's what faithful means, some ideas that would help you to understand it better. If I'm faithful, then I'm deserving of trust. In other words, I've proven to myself that I can be trustworthy and I'm worthy of your confidence. Therefore, I'm faithful uh, would be a way of looking at it. A faithful person is someone who's always doing what you're supposed to do. You're dependable. You're loyal. You're true. That's the idea. And regardless of what the situation may be, if I am faithful, then I am somebody that can be trusted with responsibility to get the job done. Now, as we go through this today, here's what I want you to see. That God has entrusted us with money and possessions and holds us accountable for how we spend it and use it. And as Christians, we don't often see that. We don't often think of it in that realm. And we are supposed to strive, according to the Scriptures, to be faithful in everything that we do, every area of our lives. But this area, this area of money and possessions is where we fail most often when it comes to our being faithful. Now, some people may think, well, I thought we were, we struggled most often with being faithful in the area of morality, being faithful to our spouse or being faithful uh, and, 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 and so forth. Not everybody is unfaithful in that area. But I'll guarantee you that all of us have struggled at some point in life with being faithful to God as to the way that we spend and use the money and the possessions that He's given us. All of us have. We've all blown it. We've all blown money. We, we have squandered it. We've wasted it. We've been irresponsible with it. And we all struggle in this area or have struggled at some point in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll struggle again. 
Now, I've heard it said before that uh, faithfulness is a rare commodity, the, the commodity these days, and that's true. Um, you know, it seems like more and more as the world spins toward its end, society is less and less faithful. But for you and me, for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who have accepted him as our Savior, those of us who are his children, listen, faithfulness is part of the standard of, of living. It's the way we live. This is not optional. And, and we're to be faithful in every area of life, but in particular, or especially when it relates to money and possessions. And this, to, to many of us, is so foreign because we still have that mindset that, that somehow money and possessions are, are dirty and evil and God just really gives us these things for, for us to have, but He doesn't really care about them. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because it is in the area of money and possessions that our faithfulness is tested. And you've got to hear this. It's in the area of money and possessions that God tests your faithfulness to determine how He responds and deals with us presently and in the future. That it's like the testing ground of faithfulness for all of us. And unless I change my point of view concerning that, I'm going to struggle in a lot of different areas of my Christian life. I've got to come to understand that God wants me to be faithful, trustworthy to Him in the way in which I I spend and deal with my money. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you faithful in this area? Now, I'm not talking about just, just talking about giving, so please understand that. This is not the preacher talking to you about being faithful in your giving. That's part of it. But I'm looking at the whole gamut of our, our lives and the way in which we spend our money, the way you spend it, the way you do business, your standard of living, what you do give and how you help other people. All of these areas, would God look at me and say to you and me, you are a faithful servant. You've done your job. Now, here's one of the reasons why I believe, or probably the main reason, I believe that we struggle in this area. Here's why we struggle with being faithful in the area of money and possessions. And, and you've got to hear this, okay? It is this. The Bible teaches that you and I are the managers of our money and possessions. We are not the owners. Now, folks, you've got to hear and understand this. God says to you and me that what you have, you do not own. What you have belongs to me. You're the manager. This is a concept that runs so far into our thinking. And if you can begin to change the way you think, you begin to relate to money and possessions in a totally different way. To see it not as mine, to do with as I choose, to squander when I please, and not be accountable to anyone, but instead to see it as something that God owns, God possesses, it belongs to Him, and He says to you and me that as my children, you are accountable to me to be faithful in dispersing and dealing with and spending and, and everything else in the way you deal with what I have given you. I want you to look at this verse, because this is a tough thing to accept. It is hard for you and me to believe. Because, you see, we were the ones that went and put forth all those years to, uh, of school to be educated. We're the ones that have the good job. We're the ones that make the money. We're the ones that bring home the paycheck. We're the ones that determine where it's to be spent. So how can you sit there and tell me 
that now God claims it, that it's God's. And, I, and some of us struggle with even believing this, but look at this verse because I want you to see this. God doesn't mince words. He doesn't beat around the bush. It's very straightforward. It's very plain. It's in Psalms chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Now, folks, this, there's, you know, it's pretty clear. God says, the earth is mine and every single thing in it. That house that you own or paying a mortgage on, that's God's house, that's not yours. That car that you drive around, that is not your car, that's God's car. Those clothes on your back, that boat in your garage, whatever it may be, the land that you own, all of your investments, money in the bank, that is not yours. It belongs to God. God gave it and God brought it into your life and He has blessed you with it. But God is saying to you and me, you're accountable. That you are to manage that because it belongs to me. The earth and everything in it belongs to me, he says. The world and every person in it belongs to me. Now listen to me. Those children that you love, they're not yours. They belong to God. And God says to you, you're to manage them. You're to raise them and love them and cherish them because they belong to me. That spouse that you have, or maybe the one that you've lost, it's not yours. He or she belongs to God. See, this goes contrary to everything that we believe and think. And when God decides to take, whether it be money or a spouse or a child, and we get so angry at God, basically what we're saying is, it belonged to me, why did you take it? And God says, no, it didn't. It never belonged to you. It's mine. He or she is mine. And you were given the responsibility to be faithful, to manage and to love and to cherish and to provide for that person, to care for those things that I've given you. And folks, I'm going to tell you that when you begin to think in those terms, when you begin to see that, you know what, this is not about me and what I lay claim to. I have no right to anything. It's about me acknowledging and understanding the ownership of God. Now, how would your life change? Think about this. How would your life change if that truth became a reality in your life? If you really did come to grips with the fact, this, this teaching on ownership, that it does not belong to me, it belongs to God. How would my life change? Well, there's a couple of ways I think that your life would change. Number one is this. I believe that it would remove all the stress from your life of having to worry about losing what you got. Let me give you an example. You read in the morning paper, the stock market maybe took a dive. Your 401k or your investments just became about half of what they're worth. And what do you do? Do you worry about this and try to uh, fret about your money that's going down the tubes? Or you turn to God and say, God, your money's going down the tubes. And you know what? You need to do something. When that car breaks down, do you fret and worry about where you're going to get the money to fix it? Or do you turn to God and say, Lord, your car's broke? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? When your child gets sick and the bills come rolling in and you turn to God and you say, Lord, you got a lot of bills here. What are you going to do about it? God, the kid is sick. The wife is sick. The husband's sick. And Lord, we don't know what to do. What are you going to do about this? 
Lord, it's your problem. It's your possession. It's your person. This, they belong to you. What are you going to do? Now, this seems awfully foolish, I know, to take an attitude like that. You're thinking to yourself, well, I could never do that. I'm going to worry about it and try to figure it out. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to figure it out. But the point is this, that if my attitude is that this is God's possession, be it an inanimate object or, or a person, it drives me to Him. It's, it, instead of me over here worrying about it, in my faithfulness to my, my owner, I turn back to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? I am seeking your guidance as your servant to be faithful in this area to my responsibilities. So what do you want me to do? There are some things that are absolutely beyond my control. I cannot figure this out. So, Lord, you're going to have to miraculously provide here. But I acknowledge, Lord, that you are the owner. I see my role here, Lord. I'm a faithful steward or servant, and that's all. I have no claim to any of this. So, Lord, I'm turning to you and I'm asking, show me what to do. The second thing, it not only relieves the pressure, but it makes me more conscious of my responsibility. In other words, if it's not mine, we have a tendency. We all do this. If I own something, I can neglect it, I can abuse it, I can squander it. It doesn't matter. It's mine. And I don't have to answer to anybody. It's okay. And I, I, I've been guilty of this. And I've seen other people guilty of this. But if I acknowledge God's ownership and I say, Lord, this belongs to you, I, and, I, and I, I see that. And I'm the manager, so Lord, the responsibility now increases because I can't squander what is God's and not mine. It's not right. In my viewpoint of, of everything I own in life, or I think I own, that I possess anyway, it changes. Because all of a sudden now I see where my role is. You know, we lose jobs and we, won't, we worry and we, we're scared to death about the future. Instead of saying, okay, God, it's your job. And I'm trusting you to provide another one. And, and when you do, and that doesn't mean I don't look. I certainly look and, and so forth. But when you do, then I step up and manage it again the way I did before. But Lord, this is your responsibility. This is faith, people. It's making me turn to God in faith and say, Lord, what are you going to do here? Because I can't. I, I can't fix it. I can't make it right. And that's where I think a lot of people are. We, we get so worried and frustrated and depressed because we're in a hole and we can't see the way out. Rather than saying in true and complete faith, God, this is not my problem. This is your problem. Your possessions. Now, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Just tell me. I think it changes everything. I believe that as I look in the Scripture... That God tells us that when we are faithful servants, that it opens the doors to a lot of things. And I want you to listen to this, okay? Because we don't, again, don't often think in these terms. I believe, like I told you before, that, that our faithfulness with money and possessions is like the proving ground for better, bigger and better things. I think Scripture bears this out. I think that, first of all, that, that as I am faithful with these things that God has given me, 
that God then opens up doors to further opportunities of being faithful in the areas that really matter and count for eternity. Let's think about ministry, for example, involvement in, in the program of God. I've seen so many people worry and fret about why I, I want to be used. I want God to, to use me. I want to go to Bible college. I'd love to preach. I'd love to be a missionary. I'd love to do something in church. But nothing seems to ever work out. And I wonder, as you say that and think that, if part of the problem is that you have not proven yourself to be faithful in the area of money and possessions, therefore God will not entrust to you other things. Now look at this verse. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12. Jesus is talking, he's 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 giving one of his parables again, and he says this, he says in verse 10, Luke 16, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling, watch this, worldly wealth. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Now, in the context, it's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, in effect, that if you can't handle this... The little things in life, then I'm not going to entrust you with bigger responsibilities in the area of ministry in the lives of other people. Notice what he says here in this last sentence. He says in verse 12, And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, meaning his, if you have not been trustworthy with my property, who will give you property of your own? Now this, this really you can take in two different ways. Is he talking about ministry here or is he saying to us this, that if you want more, then you have to be faithful with what you have and I will entrust you with more. Some of us beat our heads against the wall our entire lives trying to acquire wealth and possessions and money. And God says to you and me, listen, you haven't been faithful with how you've dealt with what I've given you. I'm not going to let you have any more. This idea of being faithful is so important because God rewards that faithfulness. Now think with me for a moment. In 1 Timothy, there's a passage, we're not going to look at it, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, where it's talking about church leaders and elders and deacons specifically. And he gives this whole laundry list of qualifications for elders and deacons. And he comes down along about verse 3, at the end of verse 3, and he says this, he says that if a person wants to be in this position, then he cannot be a lover of money. And what he basically means by that is this, that, I, that this person must acknowledge and understand that it's God's. I'm not going to be too attached to it. I'm going to manage it faithfully, but it's God's. I'm not going to fall in love with my possessions. That's a qualification. In the next sentence, he says, and he must be able to manage his own home. Otherwise, how's he going to manage the church? Now, right there, he's saying, if you can't manage the small things, I'm not going to allow you to have the bigger things. The things that have to do with eternal importance, so to speak. Now, folks, you need to understand this because God says to you and me, there are consequences to being an unfaithful manager. Of my possessions. 
Not only that, but there's also the, the scriptures that imply that somehow the way I manage his possessions here on earth has eternal weight when I get to heaven. Somehow I am rewarded for it. Now watch this. Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 47. It says that in this passage, and Jesus again is talking in parables. He said, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food in proper time? Now let's stop there for a minute. He's saying, Look, I'm looking for a faithful servant who is in charge of my other servants. Somebody that's taking care of them. Somebody that feeds them. Somebody that cares for them. Somebody that takes responsibility to manage. Now, this could cover a lot of different things. Either the one that's doing the teaching, the the discipling, the one that's meeting their physical needs. He's taking care of them. He's managing responsibility. He says, who is that person? He says in verse 46, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Now, catch this, because he's talking about the master coming back, Jesus' return. When When Jesus returns, or when you and I pass away, if we have been faithful to God in these small areas, then look what he says in verse 47, Truly I say to you, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now, I don't know what all that means. I'm going to be honest with you. When it comes to the subject of rewards in heaven, there's a lot of cloudiness and ambiguity there. We don't understand all of it. But somehow God says that my faithfulness in the way that I handle the affairs of my life here carry weight when I get home with Him as to how He blesses there. Again, a lot of questions that that leaves me with and I don't have answers for. But it makes sense for me to start preparing to take this seriously, that God holds me accountable for the way I deal with my finances. Financial faithfulness. Let's get down to, to right down to where the rubber meets the road. What does it mean to be financially faithful, to, ma- to manage the affairs of my God, to recognize His ownership? What are we talking about? Here's some very practical things. Financial faithfulness means to be frugal in your spending. You know, we live in America, and the rest of the world has this concept that we just, we're, well, we're rich. And I guess in comparison, we are, even the poorest of us. But we have this mindset that we can just go out and buy and spend and, and just blow money on any and everything that we want. And God says, wait a minute. If it's mine, then I need you to manage it. And sometimes manage it means you just don't spend a lot of it. And guys, I've got to tell you something. All of us get into the habit of just spending wildly. When maybe what God wants you to do with what He's given you is to save it. Maybe what God's wanting you to do is to wait and to use it in a wiser way later on. So, being a faithful steward might mean that you, you don't spend the way you've been used to spending. Financial faithfulness means sticking to your budget. You plan a budget. It's a good budget. It, it is giving you money to, to spend on yourself and have fun with. 
You know, whenever we, whenever we talk about this and, and recognizing God's ownership over my possessions, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have fun. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to take some money and enjoy yourself. That's not what it's saying. He's just saying be responsible with what I own. And so the budget keeps me in line. Financial faithfulness means that I work hard. I'm not lazy. Folks, listen to what the, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what Paul is saying. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who was unwilling to work shall not eat. He didn't say that he was unable to work. There's, there are people that are disabled and not able to work. We take care of them. We help them. He said the one that is unwilling to, the one that's always got an excuse, the one who can't, all, can't seem to keep a job or, or whatever. He said, look, you know what? That's not what I want. That's not what I want. That's not what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is somebody that works hard and they get paid for it. Financial faithfulness means that I take care of my family. Man, this is a big one. So many people, men especially, tend to be irresponsible. I'd rather go spend the money on smokes and drinks and gambling and having fun, doing my thing, rather than taking care of my family. That's irresponsible. That's not a good steward. That's not faithfulness. Listen to this verse. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, when he says that you've denied the faith, we've talked about this before. He's not talking about your salvation. The faith, as is portrayed in Scripture, is the teaching of the apostles, that which has been handed down from generation to generation, the, the Bible, the New Testament primarily. He says, you have denied that. You have gone against that teaching. You're worse than an unbeliever in the way you treat your family. And not only this, notice what it says here. He says, does not provide for his relatives. That's one category. Especially his own household. That's another category. God holds you responsible. Now listen to this. That you take care of your immediate family and that you also do all you can to help mom and dad and other relatives that are in need. Guys, we can't shirk that responsibility because, remember, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. When God says, you take this money and you help your mom and your dad, then you better do it. That I have a responsibility to do that. And faithfulness means that I am doing that. Financial faithfulness means that I help those that are needy. There are a lot of people in our world, there are a lot of people in this church that are needy. And we do what we can at times to help those people. You need to be able to do that, in a position to do that. To give to the church, to help the ministries of the church, to give to missions, however God would lead. Remember, it's not mine. When God lays upon my heart to give it, you should be willing to give. But here's more importantly, you should have it to give. And if I've squandered it on myself, then I'm not going to have it. And when it comes to giving, whether it be someone in need or giving to a ministry here at the church or giving to a missions or, or something, I've heard this over and over from people. Pastor, I just don't have it. 
And when you get to looking at the checkbook, you realize they've blown it all on themselves. They've been irresponsible. And it's so in, in the church today, it's not that people don't want to give. By the time they've blown all their money on themselves, they don't have it. And that's unfaithfulness. It's ungodly. You know, we talked about this week, last week or the week before. Some of us have credit cards where we have run them up past their limits. We have bought everything we wanted. We've gone on shopping sprees, and now we can't do it anymore because we've reached our limit. Do you realize how much interest you're paying each month of God's money? God's money that He entrusted you with, that you're giving to some cutthroat company that has gouged you because you have been greedy. And what could you do with two or three hundred dollars a month that some of you pay an interest on credit cards? What could you do for needy people in the ministry if you had that money freed up? Folks, we don't have it because we've been unfaithful. And things have to change. Things have to change for all of us. And it is imperative that you and I begin to see that this money, the possessions I have, they're not mine. They're God's. And every time you and I have an idea or a need or some idea to spend money, every time we do that, we ought to be going straight to the throne and saying, Lord, all right, here it is. This is yours. This month you have an extra three or $400 left over. Lord, you've done good this month. What do I do with it? Some of us have a few hundred bucks left over and we go find something to spend it on. And maybe God's saying to you, this is what I want you to do with this. It could be anything, but what God lays upon your heart. Whatever it may be, if we can get into the habit of always going and saying to God, Lord, what do I do? What do I do with this? How do I spend it? What size house do I live in? What kind of car do you want me to drive? It's your money, Lord, so tell me. Who do you want me to help, Lord? How much do I give to the church? What do I do? It's your money, Lord, tell me. I really and truly believe that our whole lives would change. It would take on a whole different look. And God would look at you and me and say, well done. You're a good and faithful steward and manager. We ask ourselves, okay, how can I do this? This seems to me to be overwhelming. This whole idea of of giving up ownership and letting God be God and so forth. How do I do this? Well, it's like we do anything else in the Christian life. And here's the answer. You go back into Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And in this verse, in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, that means the outcome of the Spirit working in you, what the Spirit does, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, ooh, faithfulness. Oh, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that what God does is this. God says to me that I'm a steward or a servant and I'm to manage his possessions and I'm to be faithful. And God also says that I will make you faithful. I will put my spirit in you as a believer. You have that. And if you will follow me and seek me and walk with me, that I will generate within you the desire and the wisdom to be faithful. Yeah, that's what it says. It's just like all these other things that are mentioned. Love and joy and peace and patience. 
These things you don't feel as a human being. These are the things that God generates within you. He creates them within you. These are emotions. These are commitments. These are decisions. And according to the Scripture, that this is a result of the Spirit working in my heart when I let Him. And therein lies the problem. We're so busy squandering things and living for ourselves, we don't stop long enough to seek it. And God says, you seek it, you're going to get it. So I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, this is what we need. This is what I question. What do you want me to do? And God says, in my spirit, living in you will direct you. Just slow down and listen. Just slow down and listen. Lord, where do you want me to work? God's spirit will tell you. Lord, what, what do you want me to do about a car? I, I, I need a car. Do I get an old one? Do I get a new one? What do you want me to spend, Lord? What do I do? And God will impress upon your heart and put into your mind the ideas of what He wants. Lord, where do I live? What do I do about a house? God will impress that upon you too. Lord, how do I do about taking care of mom and dad or my kids and their needs and the church and whatever else comes up, Lord, people in need? Then, Lord, go to the Lord and God will guide you and direct you. But first of all, Before any of that can take place, you've got to give up ownership. You have to turn to God and say, Lord, it's been mine long enough. Look at the mess I made. God, take it back. It's yours. And now, Lord, all I ask is that you tell me what you want me to do. I am the manager. I am your servant. So, Lord, show me day by day, step by step, dollar by dollar, what you want me to do. And, folks, I guarantee you, not only will your life change, not only will your relationship with the Lord will change, your financial situation will change. Because the more I prove myself faithful, I believe with all my heart that God gives me more responsibility. And what you'll see is things change. It'll take some time. But that's okay. Just be faithful. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Lord, we're convicted. Lord, we have not always been faithful. We have not always seen ourselves as the managers and the servants, but we've seen ourselves as the owners and the masters. God, help us not to do that. Father, help us to be patient, to be calm, to be relaxed, and to let you lead us as to where you want us to go financially. Father, we will trust you with all the things that scare us to death, all the things that worry us. Father, we would trust you. Lord, help us to let go and to assume our role faithfully, Father, as the stewards of what You've given us. And Father, I pray that each one of us not only would see that in the physical realm of the things that we have and possess, but Father, with the people in our life as well, our family. It's all Yours. God, help us, each and every one, to let go of it and to let You have it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.